Welcome. My name is Dr. Jonathan Vorse, and thank you for downloading our podcast today on Working the Word. Make sure you hit that subscribe button to receive new podcasts every week. Thank you for your support at jvorse.org and enjoy the message today. That's where we're uh, kind of kind of spring from there a little bit. We'll get to it in just a few moments. But I want to uh, talk to you today. I just want to have what I call a real talk with you today. The name of the message is Real Talk. Somebody contacted us and they said, I heard the pastor is going to have a straight talk with us. That's the name of the message. It's Real Talk. Amen. So we're going to just have a little real talk today. This week, as, as um, I was um, spending some time with the Lord and we were communicating together about what I should bring with you, and the Lord's just kind of had us on a different track lately. We really haven't been on a series or anything, which I love preaching series. In fact, most of my preaching is series. The Lord's just kind of had us on a, just a week-by-week track here for a while through the summer. And the Lord just kind of spoke with me, and, and um, He said, you need to... Talk to the people about God, how that God can use them. Just have a real talk with them about how God can use them. And so that's what we're going to do. I just called it Real Talk, and we're going to talk about that today, okay? Father, we just, we just come to you today. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather together in your name and to just love you and to be loved by you. And I thank you for the group of people that's here today to hear the Word of God and to worship you and to receive strength for the journey for this coming week. I pray that you would touch me to be able to effectively communicate your word. Let me minister and speak under the unction of the Holy Spirit as that great master teacher, the Holy Spirit, teaches and preaches through me today. We give you praise for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to begin today by asking you a few questions. The first question that I want to ask you is very simple. Have you ever felt like your past has disqualified you from fulfilling the plan of God for your life? I'm going to ask that question again. Have you ever felt like that your past has disqualified you from fulfilling God's plan for your life? There's a lot of people that feel that way. The second question that I want to ask you is this. Have religious people made you feel disqualified? Because many times they, they tend to have a list of rules and regulations that's not found in the Bible. That's not found in the Word of God. And so sometimes they try to make you feel disqualified. Some people say, well, if you're a woman, you can't preach. Well, I'll show you later on. That's not true. All kinds of places in the Scripture where women, if it wasn't for the women, dear God, where would the church be today? You know, and many times standing up and carrying the torch when the men... We're sitting back in the back and not doing their part. So, religious people can sometimes make you feel disqualified. Now, I do need to throw this in here, or is that disqualification in your head? Because the devil will do that too, especially if you're prone to victim mentality. The enemy will do that a lot of times with people that are recovering from addictions, and a lot of the things that the enemy uses with people like that is a victim mentality, and on their journey to wholeness, they have to overcome that and realize they're not a victim. and But during that period of time, that space of time, sometimes the enemy will try 
to make them feel disqualified because of the addiction that they were involved in. So the third question that I want to ask, and this will get us off and running, are you tired of feeling like this? Are you tired of feeling this way? Tired of feeling disqualified because of things that's happened in the past? Tired of feeling disqualified because of something that some religious teacher taught you when you were growing up that if you were married and divorced and remarried, then you can't preach? That's nonsense. There's no place in the Bible where it says that, but there are denominations today who will not even ordain people if they've been divorced and remarried. That's ridiculous. Okay, But there's all kinds of these crazy things that the enemy has tossed in there Little, you know, religious chocks, I guess. When, when I, years and years ago, when I was pastoring my first church, I used to drive a school bus because I was bivocational and we had wheel chocks. And if you put a wheel chock in front of that wheel, that bus just wouldn't go anywhere unless you really gassed it and got it over top of that chock. Well, the enemy likes to put these religious chocks in front of our spiritual wheels to try to stop us from doing what God wants us to do. And a lot of times those chocks aren't even found in the Word of God. It's ridiculous. And so, um, so we got to get to the point where we're just, we don't want to feel this way anymore. We're tired of feeling this way. I'm not, I'm not disqualified because maybe I messed up and the Lord had to forgive me and set me back on track again. I'm not disqualified because I had a problem with an addiction and, and that addiction kept coming back and coming back and coming back until the Lord Jesus set me free. That doesn't disqualify me. If I was a woman, it wouldn't disqualify me from standing up here and ministering the Word of God. Well, the Bible said, let the women keep silent in the church. Yeah, there's a lot of things that the Bible said. If you want to take that out of context, then in the Old Testament, the Bible said, when your child gets rebellious, take them out there and stone them to death too. You going to go kill your kid? No. So don't take it out of, don't take it out of context like that. So let's not let these things that the world says are disqualifiers and the church sometimes says are disqualifiers stop us from allowing God to use us. So I want to start today by giving you just a few examples in the Scripture. Some of them are very familiar. Some of them may not be so familiar. But I've got five real quick examples that I want to share with you and then we're going to talk about us and what the Lord wants to do with us, okay? Number one, Moses. Everybody knows Moses. Everybody knows about Moses. All right, Moses... In the world today, in the world's eyes today, would have been disqualified. Let's think about Moses for just a few moments, okay? They were killing little babies, and Moses was the age that was to be killed, and his mother put him in a little ark and set him loose in the Nile River, and he got caught in some bulrushes, and Pharaoh's daughter found him and adopted him, and he grew up in Pharaoh's palace. A child that was supposed to have been killed grew up in Pharaoh's palace, okay? So he grew up with the best of everything. He grew up with the best of education. He grew up with the best food you could eat. He, he grew up learning how to lead. He grew up how to be, how to be a, knowing how to be a military man and all of these types of things. And they were grooming him to possibly be either a pharaoh or a strong assistant to a pharaoh. That, that's what they were grooming him for, okay? But, but eventually his identity became known and he was wandering around in the Israelites' camp who had been in captivity for nearly 400 years by that time and he was wandering around in the Israelites camp and he saw an Egyptian beating an Israelite and the Bible said that his indignation rose up and he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Well later it was found out what he had done and the Bible said that Pharaoh banished him from Egypt and so he went across the desert and he was just going to live his life on the other side of the desert. He met Zipporah, his wife, and, and uh, had a wonderful family over there and became a sheep herder. 
And so this guy that grew up in palace was now a sheep herder. And then one day on the backside of the desert, the Bible said he saw a bush that burned and it wasn't consumed. And he drew near to the bush that burned and wasn't consumed. And a voice came out of that bush, which was the voice of God that said, take your shoes off the ground that you stand on is holy. And so he took his shoes off there beside that bush. He took his shoes off and he's standing there and God told him, he said, and there's a series of events. The Bible told him, the Bible said God told him to put his hand in inside of his bosom and pull it out and it was leprous and then put his hand back in and pull it out and it was clean again. Take his rod and throw it down, turn it into a snake, pick up the tail, it turned back into a rod. There's all kinds of things that God used there to prove to Moses that this was God and this is... But Moses is standing there and he says, I want you to go back to Egypt. The place that you came from, I want you to go back to Egypt and I want you to lead that nation out of bondage. In Moses' mind, he's probably thinking, if I go back to Egypt, that which I left there is going to creep back up on me. They're going to discover who I am and they're going to finish the job. I was banished for life. If I go back, they're going to throw me in prison because I killed this guy. So he was a murderer. And so in his mind, he's thinking this, but he comes up with a different excuse. He says, God, I can't talk. He said, I'm a stutterer. And he was, he was a stutterer. So here he's standing with his shoes off. God had done just a few miracles. There's a bush in front of him that's burning that's not consumed. God is speaking to him from that bush. And the best thing that Moses could come up with is, I stutter, I can't talk. What are the excuses that we use sometimes for God? You know, God wants to use us. He really does. You know, and sometimes the excuses that we use is, well, and so what we do is we just parrot or repeat what people have told us. This is why you can't do it. So we repeat that back to God. And God's like, that's not going to work. So God just tells Moses, he's, well, that's not going to work. He said, you know, your brother Aaron is going to be your mouthpiece. And so God took Moses, long, longer story short, God took Moses and the Bible, used, Bible says God used Moses to lead an entire nation who had been in captivity for 400 years out of the land of bondage across the desert to the brink of the promised land. This was a guy who had everything, who lost everything, who heard from God. God recommissioned, sent him back to the same place that he came from to set an entire nation free. Now let me say this to you. If God can do that for Moses... God can do that for you. Now let's talk about another guy. Everybody knows about David. David, King David, this wonderful man, King David. You open up the book of Psalms, you read Psalms that David wrote. Powerful man, wonderful man of God. Fell in love with God when he was a little boy on the hills of Bethlehem, Judea. The Bible said the Spirit of the Lord would come upon him when a lion would come out or a bear would come out to get the sheep and he would smite the lion and he would smite the bear. And when we think of David, we think of many things. We think about David and Goliath. We think about how that he killed Goliath, how he knocked Goliath down, how he decapitated Goliath, how God eventually made him the king of Israel. We think about that. But there was a time in David's life after he became king. I'm talking about after the hills of Bethlehem, Judea, after the praise and the worship, after Goliath was killed, after God had exalted him to be king of Israel, there came a time in his life where David had a very severe moral failure. Very severe. And it was this. His army was out and they were fighting a war. And David went up to the top of his house 
and he looked over to another housetop, and the Bible said that he saw a woman over there bathing, and her name was Bathsheba, and adultery rose up in his heart. He sent for Bathsheba, brought her into his bedchamber, and Bathsheba became pregnant. So he committed adultery. He's married, and he committed adultery. So in order to, instead of just saying, okay, God, I repent from that, so he decides, I'm going to cover this up. So he calls Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, home from the war, hoping that the husband and the wife would do what husband and wives do when they've been away from each other for a while, and then they could say, well, the baby came from that. But Uriah was loyal. Uriah was loyal to the men that were on the battlefield. Uriah was loyal to the kingdom. And he said, I'm not going to enjoy my wife. He said, while my brothers are out there giving their lives in this battle. So he slept in the yard outside. David said, I got to do something about this. So he called Joab, the captain of his guardian. And Joab, who was the captain of his guard, he looked at Joab. He said, I want you to take Uriah. I want you to put him on the front line. And, and Joab said, Uriah has not proven himself as that kind of a soldier. He's going to get killed. And David said, I know it. Put him there. And David had him put in a place where he knew he would be killed. So he schemed for him to have his death. Then as time goes on, the baby is born. baby ends up dying. And then later we find David laying prostrate before God. That means just on his face before God in sackcloth and ashes, fasting and crying out, and we read the psalm that he prayed. He said, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me. Restore means bring back again something that I once had. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with your free spirit. God forgave David. When he asked God to forgive him, God did it. And God went ahead and let him go on and lead the kingdom. So what happened was we see this young man who had this extraordinary relationship with God. He lost out with God after God had exalted him to be king. I mean, he lost out with God. Messed up big time. I mean, big time. And then he goes before God and says, God, would you please forgive me? Would you create in me a clean heart? Would you renew a right spirit within me? God, would you do that? And he prayed and he fasted before the Lord, and God did it. He did it. If God can do that for David, God can do that for you. How many times have we messed up? How many times have we faltered? How many times have we failed? The Bible said that all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the Bible also tells us if we say we have no sin, then we deceive ourselves and the truth is not even in us. So every single one of us, now this is just a real talk, every single one of us need to come to the realization that if it wasn't for Calvary, and if it wasn't for the cross, and if it wasn't for the blood of Jesus Christ, then where would we be? We would be lost and we would be undone without God. But thank God, over 2,000 years ago, He walked the deal via Dolorosa. He died on Calvary's hill and He obtained eternal redemption for you and I. So then we find another lady in her name, another person, it's a lady, and, and we call her the woman at the well. And this is one of those examples where God uses women to preach. 
And so it's a Samaritan woman, and Jesus is over here at this well, and Jacob's well, and the Bible said that she comes to the well, and she says, will you give me something? And Jesus says, will you give me something to drink? And this Samaritan woman looks at Jesus and says, how are you a Jew asking me, a Samaritan, to give you anything to drink? And she kind of had an attitude with Jesus. And you'll find out why here in just a few moments. I'm going to share it with you. So Jesus looks at her, and he says, if you would have known who asked you for water, you would have asked me for water, and I would put inside of you a well that would spring up into everlasting life. And so they went and bantered back and forth there just a little bit, and then finally Jesus looks at her and he says, go get your husband. She said, I don't have a husband. Jesus said, you're right. You've had five, and the one you're with right now is not your husband. And she looked at Jesus. That kind of got her attention. It did. I mean, she looked at Jesus and she said, Sir, now all of a sudden it's not, what are you doing wanting me to get you water? Now it's, Sir, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Jesus told her, said, Go into town and tell all of the people there what I've told you. And the Bible said she went into town and she told the men. Why did she tell the men? because the women probably wouldn't have anything to do with her because she had probably messed around with some of their husbands. That's the truth. That's truth. Listen. Listen. She probably even thought Jesus was coming on to her at the well. That's probably why she had the attitude that she had with Jesus. Jesus, now here's what the point I want you to get. Jesus knew the mess that her life had been, and he still wanted her on his team. Are you hearing me? He knew the mess that her life had been, and he still wanted her on his team. In fact, he told her, you go into town and you preach. You tell them about me. You tell them about living water. Jesus wanted to be involved in her life. Now, the last one that I want to share with you before we get to the rest of this message is it's an Old Testament it's an Old Testament minor prophet and his wife. So we have a story in the Old Testament of Hosea and Gomer. Gomer was a prostitute and Hosea was a prophet. What a combination. He's going to go prophesy, she's going to go prostitute. What a combination. So you go in the scriptures and you find out that, that he loved his wife. And so God would constantly send him to go get her when she left, to bring her back home. You read it in the book of Hosea. The Bible said that he would go get her and bring her back home. She'd straighten up for a while, and then she'd run back out to it again. And then the Bible said because of his great love for her, that he would go back under the direction of the Lord to go get her and bring her back home again. And this would happen. It was a cycle to the point where the children finally looked at their dad and said, why don't you just let her be? And his response was, I love her. And so he would go get her and bring her back and go get her and bring her back until she finally got free from that because it was a spiritual situation. Until she finally got free from that. And so when I'm going through this and I'm talking with the Lord and I felt the Lord specifically uh, uh, share with me that I needed to share this story with you, I asked God, I said, 
what is it about this story that you want me to share with the church? And it's like the Lord let me know. He said, I want them to understand that even if they're involved in addiction, because that's what addiction does. Addiction, you know, you'll run out and then, and then come back and you'll try to live and you'll do the best that you can and all of that. And when you get a weak moment, you run back. And then the church, if we don't watch it, we put on our holy halos. Hello. We put on our holy halos and we say, you know what? We just don't need that influence around us. We don't need anything to do with it. We don't want, want them around our kids. We don't want all that kind of stuff. And so just let them go do it. And when they finally hit rock bottom, they'll come crawling back. If they're not dead, we have to love them enough to keep going and getting them and bringing them back and going and getting them and bringing them back and going and getting them and bringing them back. You see, here's... Here, here's Here's what, what I want to, to bring up here and what I felt the Lord speak to me about this. He said, tell those that battle with addictions to switch addiction. Switch addiction. I said, okay, well, what does that mean? Well, it's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 15 through 16. I beseech you, brethren, you know the house of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. That ye submit yourselves unto such, and to everyone that helpeth with us and laboreth. Let me tell you, those of you that have struggled with addictions, I want to encourage you, switch addictions. Get addicted to God. Just get addicted to God. Get addicted to the Word of God. Get addicted to the anointing. The anointing that breaks the yoke. The anointing that doesn't just break the yoke, but it destroys the yoke, and it sets the captive free. Get addicted to the anointing. If you're going to be addicted to something, you might as well be addicted to something that helps people instead of be addicted to something that doesn't help. So get addicted to the Word of God. You know, my brother, when he ended up in prison, I was like, oh, Jesus, oh, my Lord. How in the world, and all this kind of, how in the world did this ever happen? And, and, and we went through all of that that a lot of people do, you know, when they have a loved one that, you know, I mean, you're looking at a 15 to 25-year stretch, you know. I mean, you, you drank like 14 cases of stupid. Some people just case, drink one case. You drank 14 cases of stupid. Why did you do that? And the Lord spoke to me, and he said, just love him. Just love him. And two years in to his 15-year stretch, if he behaves himself, which is possible and also not possible sometimes, but if he behaves himself, but two years in, he's recommitted his life to Christ and he's leading the Bible study in the prison. I'm grateful to the Lord for that. And he sends me little notes and I'm going to teach on this. What do you think about this, doctor? And he teases me. <laughs> teases me about that, you know, doctor ministry thing. He teases me about that and all of that. And so I'll, I'll, I'll share that with him. But he's, he told me, he said, there's so much truth in just getting addicted to the Bible, getting addicted to the Word of God. And, and the Word of God will pull you back. It'll snap you back in line. So we see there's five different instances here where people just totally messed up their life. Some of them had good starts. Some of them had bad starts. But they totally messed up their life and God still wanted them on His team. And if God can do that for them, God can do that for you. So what does the Bible say about you? And this is where our text comes in, about halfway through the message, where our text comes in. Matthew 9, 13, the Bible said, God has not called the righteous, but sinners to repentance. God, now listen to me very closely. God has called the righteous to discipleship. God has called the lost to repentance. 
And if we are a good disciple, which is a fully developing and devoted follower of Jesus Christ, if we are a good disciple, I mean a good one, then we're going to have a love and a passion for lost people. And when we look at a lost person, we're not going to look at them with criticism in our heart. We're going to look at them with compassion in our heart. And we're going to reach out to them and try to love them and try to bring them to the foot of the cross. My challenge to you today is simply this. I know most of us in here, if not all of us, have Jesus in our heart. And so we're living for Him and we love Him dearly. And He loves us and He loves the lost too. And so my challenge to most of us today is to start loving the lost like Jesus loves the lost. Jesus would go set with publicans and sinners to eat, and the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees would say, Look at him. He's sitting with publicans and sinners. Somebody asked me, they said, Why do you think Jesus did that? I said, Because the publicans and sinners probably treated him better than most church folk that he knew. And then that's why Jesus told him, I've not come to call the righteous, but I've come to call sinners to repentance. Religion has a hard time understanding that. But those of us that have a relationship with the Lord, we want to share Jesus with everybody and we can understand it. We can understand it. Lost people, if they don't know Jesus, oh, you've got to get to know Jesus. He'll change your life. He'll transform your life. You'll, get, you'll have a relationship with God. Himself. You'll have a relationship you never thought was possible with the creator of the universe. So what's the Bible say about us? The Bible says that God's not called the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so this is where this phrase came from. The church shouldn't be a courtroom for the lost, but it should be a hospital for the broken. Tweet that. Tweet, 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 tweet. The church shouldn't be a courtroom for the lost. It should be a hospital for the broken. I long to see the day when people come to church on Sunday morning and most of them don't look like Christians because they're not. Let me preach to them. Let me share Jesus with them. It's the goodness of God that draws men to repentance. Sometimes the seasoned saints develop critical spirits and we pop attitude towards people that don't know what it's like to live for God. They come in, they don't talk like a Christian, they don't walk like a Christian, they don't act like a Christian, they don't conduct themselves like a Christian. Why should they? They're lost. Why is it a shock to the church when a lost person shows up and acts like they're not saved. What is our response to them? You need to go change your clothes. You need to quit using that language. Yeah. No, our response to them should be to just shower them with the love of Jesus. It's the love of God that will bring people to repentance. That's, that's what brings people to repentance, the goodness of God and the love of God that brings people to to repentance. And so we got to be very careful as seasoned saints that we don't develop critical spirits and bad attitudes. Here's what the Bible says about us, and here's what the Bible says about uh, lost people. Here's what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 22 through 29. It says, Not many mighty, not many noble are called because God has chosen the lower things, the beggarly elements. Of the world. We don't have time to read it today, but I would encourage you to read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 22 through 29. 
In Mark chapter 10, in verse number 31, here's what the Bible says. Many that are the first will be last, and the last will be first. That's what the Scriptures say. Well, I, it would really surprise me if God ever used that person. My goodness, look at what a mess. They're just, they're just working on their testimony. Yeah. Seriously. They're working on their testimony. You know, well, I don't know how God could ever use them. Well, it's a good thing you're not God, isn't it? Are you saying that the power of Jesus Christ's blood isn't powerful enough to cleanse them of their sin? It could cleanse you. It can't cleanse them. You see? And so I think it's important for us to have the right, be in the right frame of mind. Here's what the Bible says to people who are wounded. Here's what the Bible says to people that are hurting, people that are lost. And I'm going to read it to you out of the message translation. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, it says this. It says, and in the KJV, just so you know, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. There, all you KJV folks, you got it, okay? Now, here's message. Here's the message. Number one, here's what it says. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Then come to me. That's what it says. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take real rest. That's what the scripture says. Walk with me. God, Jesus was saying, walk with me and work with me and watch how I do it. I like this next phrase. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely You'll learn to live lightly. So here's my statement to you. It's your turn. Moses got his miracle. David got his miracle. The Samaritan woman at the well got her miracle. Gomer got her miracle. It's your turn. It's your turn for a miracle. Well, 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 Pastor, uh, you, you don't know how bad I've messed up. You, you, you just have no idea how, how bad I've messed up. Everyone, everybody in this place who is honest would say, me too. Me too. Here's real talk. Romans 3.23. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We haven't just sinned. We've um, short. That's real talk. Real talk we find in Romans 6.23 where the Bible said, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Real talk is this. There's a real heaven and there's a real hell. That's real talk. Real talk. And the church today is so busy trying to smooth and smooth the world to come in here to give their life to Jesus that when the world comes into the church a lot of times they don't see anything different and they don't sense anything different than they sense out there on the street if there is not a marked difference when a lost person shows up at the house of God what frame of reference do they have to decide whether they need Jesus in their life there's a heaven and there's a hell. Now, <laughs> the 
Hell was prepared for the devil and his cohorts. That's the scripture. Heaven was prepared for those who follow Christ. The enemy has tried to desensitize this generation about eternity. And he uses a couple of tools. He used to just use music. Before movies and stuff, there was music. You know, Satan was the worshiper of music in heaven. He was the leader of music in heaven. He, when he was cast to the earth, he used the thing that he was the master at to try to get messages. Now, there's good songs and there's bad songs out there. And I'm not one of those crazy people that think you should never listen to anything but Christian music. I think there's some good songs that are not Christian music. That's songs about life and things like that. I like country music, but I got to be careful what I listen to because if you play a lot of country songs in reverse, you get your house back, you get your wife back, you get your dog back, you get your life back. Yeah, you know, you got to be careful. You got to make sure that you're listening to good country. You know, so I mean, but the enemy used to use music, but now it seems like that he likes to use movies and and Hollywood. And 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 so what he's saying is, okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to take and we're going to make stories about the Old Testament and we're going to put them in the box office and we're going to make all kinds of money on them. And when somebody like me who grew up in church and, and, and watches that movie, we're like, wow, that's not biblically accurate. That's not accurate. That's not accurate. And it's not just little things. It's big things. It's things that like distort the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But they're putting it out there saying that it is a Bible movie. And so the enemy uses that to desensitize us about eternity. So he uses movies a lot of times. And then he uses our liberal education system to, to try to teach people that the doctrine of heaven and hell is really more allegorical, much like Eastern mysticism. I told him in the first service, I said about two years ago, I was talking to a gentleman, and, I, and he was talking to me about when Jesus comes back, and I said, the Bible said he's going to come back on a white horse and defeat the armies against Israel over the valley of Megiddo and all of this kind. So we're talking about that. And he said, wow. He said, that sounds like Zeus. I said, well, let me tell you the difference between Jesus and Zeus. I said, Zeus is Z. My Bible says that Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. So you can be satisfied with Z if you want to, but I'll take the A to Z. Thank you very much. <laughs> he just kind of shook his head and laughed at me, and he said, you've always got a biblical answer for something. I said, that's right. I said, there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. But the liberal educational system is trying to teach us to be inclusive. It's trying to teach us to embrace. It's trying to, they like to use the word tolerance. We need to be more tolerant with this and more tolerant with that. And so what they're trying to do is they're trying to take the teeth out of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. I love you dearly and I love you too much to let you live a lie, live believing a lie. So I'm going to tell you what the word of God says, okay? And if the Word of God says this is sin, that's sin. If the Word of God says do this, do this. If the Word of God says don't do this, and we're not going to do this. And when the time is right and when the time is appropriate, when I'm teaching the Word, I'm not going to be politically correct with you. I'm going to be biblically correct. Thank you very much. And so, so I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, my goodness, so that they're working on that. And so the enemy is trying to desensitize us about heaven and hell through, we would, let's say, Hollywood or just movies. The enemy is more like Netflix and stuff like that now. 
So, and then the enemy's trying to desensitize us through a liberal education system. And then, as if that's not bad enough, now he's using the modern church. Hello? There are thousands of people that are gathering together on sun this Sunday morning in different places across our nation, and they are listening to something that is not the gospel. And they're leaving thinking they went to church. You hearing me? Are you hearing me? So the enemy uses the modern church to try to move. The modern church is trying to move the message away from the cross because it's too bloody. You know, let's move the message away from the cross. I mean, that was like a torture thing. That was like a terror thing. That was like a torture thing. Jesus loves you. Jesus died on Calvary for you. He cares for you. He suffered. He died. He cried. He went through all kinds of, of, of turmoil so that he could offer you eternal salvation. If I don't share the message of Jesus Christ with you in its entirety, then I'm not just doing you, the lost, a disservice, but I'm doing the message of the cross of Jesus Christ to disservice. And so we don't need to, need to be desensitized about Calvary, about the cross. And so there's all kinds of doctrines that the enemy has got going out there trying to replace the message of the cross and the mes message of the blood of Jesus Christ. And let me tell you something. It doesn't matter what they stand up and preach. It doesn't matter if they stand up and say they're anointed. It doesn't matter if they stand up and they, they say, well, this is church. If they're not preaching the Word of God, then it's not church. It's just a gathering. The leader, I'm, I'm getting ready to close here, but the leader of the seeker-sensitive movement, I believe his name was Bill Hybels from Chicago, Illinois, he developed this seeker-sensitive movement, and his church grew to thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Later on in his life, he wrote a letter of apology and asked that it be published in Charisma magazine, apologizing to the church around the world for starting the seeker-sensitive movement. And here is a phrase that was in that letter of apology. He said, we found out that we could get large crowds, but we had very few converts. Listen, I want you to go to heaven. You hear me? I don't want you to go to hell. I want you to go to heaven. And so I love you enough to share with you things that are uncomfortable sometimes to try to get you to heaven. Because see, listen, we're all going to stand before God. This real talk. This is real talk. We get ready to get it. We're getting ready to get to the nitty-gritty right now. We're all going to stand before God. And we're going to hear one of two things. We're going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. Or from the same God, we're going to hear, depart from me, I never knew you. The same God, the same God of love, the same God of compassion, the same God that cares, is, is listen, if you go to hell, don't blame it on God. He did everything He could. He sent His Son, Jesus, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever, whosoever mess-ups, screw-ups, whosoever, we all fit in that category. The whosoever category. Whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life.
Well, this message is for two people today. Two kinds of people. Number one, if you're here or you're watching online or anywhere in the world, sometimes we get picked up by satellite and get sent across satellite network. If you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, this message is for you. Jesus is coming. There's a real heaven and there's a real hell. Well, I don't know if I believe it. It don't change, that don't change the truth. There's a real heaven and there's a real hell. If you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, I'm going to pray with you in just a few moments. I'm going to give you the opportunity to give your life to Jesus. But the second group of people that this message is for it's for the saints who have been in the way, the bright and shining way, for a long time. And I'm going to ask God to make you more sensitive to the heart of lost people. I'm going to ask God to open your eyes so you can see them with compassion and you can see them with love. And you can see the opening when one of them's ripe for the picking. Amen? Hallelujah. The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us who are saved, it's the power of God. It's the power of God. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. If you're here today and you need to give your life to Jesus, you can tell us later, but, uh, and you're watching online, and I just want you to pray with me right now. I want you to say, Dear Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of my sins and come into my heart. I believe that you are the Son of God, that you died on Calvary for me, and I receive you into my life as my Lord and my Savior. And I confess you now. Now, if you prayed that prayer, it sounds simple. The Bible uses the term born again. That means that you just gave your life to Christ and you're what we call a baby Christian. We need to know about that. You come to us after church. Come up here. Talk to me. Talk to someone back at the Welcome Center. Let them know you gave your life to Jesus today. If you're watching online, send us an email. Let us know. Because we want to get you connected with somebody who can check on you every single day to help you as you start to grow in God. You're going to have a lot of questions. You'll be excited about giving your life to Christ. But now the work begins. Becoming a disciple a fully devoted follower of Christ. Now I'm going to pray for the saints as a whole. I want you to just lift your hands toward heaven. Come on. If you're born again, I want you to lift your hand toward heaven. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, Lord, I pray over this congregation of people today. I pray that the word that I have shared from my heart today and from your word would find a lodging place in their hearts. May they leave this place today being motivated to find someone who is lost without you and to share your love with them this week. Father, I come against critical spirits. I come against bad attitudes that tend to develop in us as we get older in the Lord. Lord, may we see the lost through eyes of compassion. May we see them with great love. Father, I pray, Lord, that just as you, just as Jesus spent time with publicans and sinners to let his light shine. I pray that you would give us that opportunity this week to let our light so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. And I charge this group of people now in the name of Jesus 
to share Christ with someone this week. Someone that doesn't know Jesus. Give them the opening. Give them the open door and the opportunity. And give them the boldness and the words to speak, we pray. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Let's all stand to our feet. We're going to have a little course. And see if... Thank you for listening to Dr. Jonathan Vorse on Working the Word. We appreciate your love and support. Visit www.jvorse.org to give a gift today. Don't forget to subscribe and enjoy the rest of your day. Always remember, the Word will work if you work the Word. Be blessed.